This is a News Laundry podcast. Welcome to NL Reads. The Cow Question in Modern India, Part 2. How Cow Protection Became the Centerpiece of the Sankh Parivar's Politics by Anand Vardhan. In Part 1 of the piece, the author traced the history of cow protection from the late 19th century up until the 1940s. This is Part 2 of the series. Accounts of Constituent Assembly proceedings on Article 48 say that Dr. Baba Sahib Ambedkar insisted on restricting cow protection to directive principles of state policy, DPSP. Unlike fundamental rights, DPSP isn't legally enforceable. Eventually, cow protection was incorporated as just a part of DPSP. The non-religious wording of the Article 48 is attributed by some to Dr. Ambedkar, while others attribute it to Jawaharlal Nehru. Article 48 says, and I quote, The state shall endeavour to organise agriculture and animal husbandry on modern and scientific lines and shall, in particular, take steps for preserving and improving breeds and prohibiting the slaughter of cows and calves and other milch and drought cattle. Unquote. Article 48 was actually brought as an amendment to Article 38A by Pandit Thakurdas Bhargav, a member from East Punjab. Along with him, Seth Govind Das, a member from Central Provinces and Barar, was an active voice in getting the provision incorporated. The article was debated in the Constituent Assembly on November 24, 1948. Accounts of the debate noted that Pandit Bhargav saw Article 48 as, and I quote, a sacrifice, unquote, by the Hindu community. The fact that it wasn't enshrined as a fundamental right and was made part of DPSP was interpreted by him as an expression of non-coercion towards non-Hindus. Both Pandit Bhargav and Seth Govindas justified the inclusion of the provision for cow protection on the premise of the significance of cows to the agricultural economy of the country as well as the scientific demand for proper animal husbandry practices. Between the two, however, Seth Govindas also articulated the religious value of cow protection for Hindus and argued that cow slaughter wasn't an integral part of Islam. In presenting the religious aspects of the legislation, he countered the contempt for, and I quote, religious-minded people, unquote. The religious part of Seth Das's argument found support from Shibanlal Saxena, a member from the United Provinces. Saxena argued that the religious imperative of cow protection couldn't be ignored in its promulgation as a constitutional provision. He wondered why the religious need for such a provision couldn't be clearly stated. Two key Muslim voices who participated in the debate were Zahir ul Hassan Lari, a member from the United Provinces, and Said Mohammed Sadullah, a member from Assam. Interestingly, Zahir Lari argued that when it provisions for cow protection, he would prefer the certainty of a fundamental right to the vagueness of DPSP. His point was that in absence of a settled and certain law on it, the latter would make it open for state governments to act the way they like. They could legislate a law on cow slaughter or different state governments could have different versions of it or not legislate at all. He said, and I quote, 
Muslims of India have been and are under the impression that they can, without violence, to the principles which govern the state, sacrifice cows and other animals on the occasion of Bakrid. If the house is of the opinion that slaughter of cows should be prohibited, let it be prohibited in clear, definite, and unambiguous words. Unquote. On whether cow slaughter was integral to Islam, he argued that though Islam, and I quote, does not necessarily say that you must sacrifice cow, it permits it. Unquote. While Zahid Lari seemed more inclined to concede a ban on cow slaughter as an act of respecting Hindu sentiments, Syed Muhammad Sadullah was clear in opposing it. He said the economic logic of the ban shouldn't be articulated because it's a provision rooted in religious sentiment and should be clearly stated as such. He attacked the economic reasoning behind the ban on cow slaughter and even cited the case of different religious communities in his state, Assam, slaughtering the cow. That was not in consonance with what members of the Constituent Assembly who supported the ban on cow slaughter had considered as mainstream Hinduism. With all these arguments, Article 48 was made part of the DPSP when the Constitution of India was enacted on January 26, 1950. In the first two decades after independence, the issue of a national ban on cow slaughter became important for the right of centre stream of Indian politics. This stream had a new but important entrant, Jansang founded by Dr. Shama Prasad Mukherjee, was formed in October 1951. The other political parties occupying this space were the Hindu Mahasabha, which was in decline, and the Ram Raja Parishad, a small outfit founded by Pratapgarh-based Swami Karpatri. At the same time, there was the demand that the Jawaharlal Nehru-led Congress government at the centre frame a central law to honour the spirit of Article 48. In essence, the demand was for a national ban on cow slaughter. The Nehru government wasn't in favour of this, but made it clear that the centre wouldn't come in the way of state governments framing separate laws to ban cow slaughter. In their recently published work on the RSS, Professor Walter K. Anderson and S. D. Damle say in 1952, the RSS had collected about 17 million signatures on a petition demanding a national ban on cow slaughter. In the absence of definite evidence linking it to violence, the ban was lifted on the RSS in July 1949. In the 1950s, the RSS had found in cow protection an issue to announce its comeback in the country's cultural politics. The Janasang, which broadly shared the RSS ideology and cadre, supported the campaign for a national ban on cow slaughter. In 1952, All India Session, the Janasang passed a resolution that stated, and I quote, In spite of five years of independence, the present government has taken no steps to ban cow slaughter. The RSS had collected record signatures in favour of such a ban and has organised public opinion. Jan Sung is grieved to see Prime Minister Nehru insisting that he would not permit a central law for a ban on cow slaughter, though he has given up his objection to states passing laws. This is a regrettable symbol of his fascist tendencies. 
It is but proper to fulfill this national demand on a national level by a central law instead of 20 to 25 different laws. Unquote. In the next six years, Campaigns and agitations by Hindu groups as well as stock-taking within the Congress led to some changes. While state governments of Uttar Pradesh, Bihar, Madhya Pradesh, Punjab and Mysore, now Karnatak, banned cow slaughter. Orissa, Andhra Pradesh and Bombay, now Maharashtra and Gujarat, began considering it. In 1958, for the first time in independent India, the Supreme Court adjugated on the constitutionality of the state laws banning cow slaughter. In Muhammad Hanif Qureshi and others versus State of Bihar and a connected petition, Muslim butchers, cattle dealers and meat vendors from three different states questioned the constitutional validity of state laws banning cow slaughter. The petitioners had challenged laws enacted in three states, Bihar, Uttar Pradesh and Madhya Pradesh. Passing its verdict in June 1958, the Supreme Court upheld the constitutional validity of the state laws and rejected the argument on right to equality being infringed by discrimination between those who butchered sheep and goats and those who butchered bovine cattle. The court said that classification between the two groups was valid. The court also rejected the petitioner's argument on violation of the right to freedom of religion. In a sense, the court was of the opinion that cow sacrifice wasn't an integral part of Islam. However, the court did consider the economic factor in qualifying its judgment and allowed the slaughter of old, unproductive and disabled cows and bulls. But 47 years later, on October 26, 2005, the Supreme Court overruled this part of the 1958 verdict, rejecting the laws of usefulness as an argument for cow slaughter. In State of Gujarat versus Mirza Purmoti Qureshi Kasab, the court said an effective total ban on the slaughter of cow and its progeny is valid. The court relied on agricultural and economic reasoning and argued that the cow and its progeny never become useless even after the cattle cease to breed, work or give milk. Back in 1958, however, the judicial verdict was only a partial victory for the campaign against cow slaughter. In fact, the Jansang wasn't satisfied at all. The party's Central Working Committee passed a resolution which said, and I quote, With the court order, the values and objectives which prompted the states to ban cow slaughter had been rendered ineffective in practice. Unquote. The party followed this with its demand made at its All India Session, Lucknow 1961, that a constitutional amendment should completely ban the slaughter of the cow and its progeny. The Jansang and other groups also started working on the ground to campaign for the cause of cow protection. It was also the Jansang's way of looking for and consolidating its political space. In his work on the Hindu nationalist movement in India, Christoph Jeffelot referred to his case study on how the Jansang of this period used cow protection for mobilizing support in Madhya Pradesh. Jansang stalwarts like Deen Dayal Upadhyay were part of these campaigns.
What added vigor to the cow protection movement of the 1960s was the formation of the Vishwa Hindu Parishad, VHP, in August 1964. Supported by the RSS, the VHP was a member of the broader Sankh Parivar and its role was a more focused and aggressive pursuit of Hindu interests. It gave new momentum to the cow protection campaign. In 1966, however, the campaign, however, took an unintended violent turn during an agitation. The Jansang, along with all major Hindu organizations, had joined hand under the banner of the All India Cow Protection Committee to start a stir for a national and complete ban on cow slaughter. The stir involved a mix of dharnas, satyagrahas, quoting arrests and hunger strikes and included a large number of sadhus too. Things went out of control on November 7, 1966 during a massive demonstration held outside parliament in Delhi. The agitationists tried to storm into the parliament building. The police resorted to firing to disperse the crowd. Eight people, including two sadhus, were killed. The Jansang distanced itself from any role in the violence. The blame for violence obviously shifted to the unruly crowd and the police. The then Prime Minister Indira Gandhi asked for the resignation of Home Minister Gulzari Lal Nanda, a rival of hers within the Congress party, for his failure to control law and order. Though fixing accountability for the violent turn of the agitation wasn't easy, the Jansang grew wary of being seen with unruly elements and so became more careful in choosing co-agitationists. The violence also meant that the cow protection campaign now had to wait longer to regain a sense of urgency. The Jansang was now focused on mainstreaming itself while keeping its distinct voice intact. A decade later, when Jansang leaders like Atal Bihari Vajpayee and Lal Krishna Advani were part of the Murarji Desai-led Janata Party government, a smaller goal was achieved quietly. The leaders succeeded in persuading then Prime Minister Murarji Desai, believed to be sympathetic to Hindu interests, to pass a constitutional amendment in the Lok Sabha in May 1979. The amendment put cow protection previously part of the state list in the concurrent list. This implied that the centre could now legislate on the matter. The politics on issues of cow protection and alternatively on cow slaughter over the last 30 years has been part of recent memory. This period has seen two prime ministers from the Bharatiya Janata Party BJP, the successor to the Jansang heading governments at the centre. In their study of the RSS, Walter K. Anderson and S.D. Damley observed, and I quote, No serious effort has been made either by the national BJP governments of Vajpayee or Modi to change the Indian constitution to shift this matter from the states to the federal government, a constitutional action that would be needed to legislate a national ban, unquote. In this context, Anderson and Damle also cited how the Modi government's move in May 2017 to control transportation of cattle and prohibit the sale of cattle for purpose of slaughter ran into judicial trouble in the Supreme Court in July 2017. That's also part of a very recent chain of events. 
What's grabbing headlines today are reports of the lynching of suspected cow smugglers, traders, thieves or those believed to be consuming beef by mobs of self-styled gaurakshaks. Incidents in Dadri, Uttar Pradesh and more recently in Alwar, Rajasthan show the violent phase of what has come to be known as cow vigilantism. With incidents like a union cabinet minister garlanding convicted cow vigilantes, there is also the issue of political patronage. At the same time, there have been reports of people protecting cows or opposing cow smuggling or slaughter becoming targets of attacks as seen in border areas like Sepahijala Tripura and more recently in West Jainshya Hills District, Meghalaya. This is not limited to border areas. There have been attacks on the police force in Uttar Pradesh by cow smugglers as seen in Mathura and Jaunpur. There has also been a recent case of an alleged mob attack on an India Today journalist for reporting on an illegal cow slaughterhouse in Karnataka. There has been some excellent and regular reporting in Indian media on the violent crimes of self-styled Gau Raksha groups given the recent incidents of violence. However, there has been little effort to understand the anxieties, insecurities and motivations of cow protection groups that do not take the law in their hands. Recently, a right-leaning publication did a detailed report on such groups of Gaurakshaks in Alwar, located in Mewad region, that is notorious for cattle smuggling. The piece sheds light on how they are motivated by a struggle to save their livelihood and a way of life. The reasons for such violent attacks range from stark communal hatred to anger about the loss of cattle resources, from instigation by vested interests to the dangerous appeal of retributive instant justice. Anderson and Damley argue that the RSS and BJP, which hasn't been very vocal about cow protection since the late 1990s, now confront two sets of dilemmas on the issue. And I quote, While the cow has a special spiritual or emotional significance for many Hindus, a number of potential supporters in India's northeastern and southern states and among lower caste Hindus nationally do eat beef, as do, of course, many Christians and Muslims, as well as some urban middle-class Hindus." Unquote. Thus, and I quote, Hindu nationalism is faced with the challenge of accommodating itself to diverse regional cultures on a range of core Hindu nationalist issues, like the veneration of the cow. Unquote. A look at the comparative analysis of data released by National Sample Survey Office NSSO for three different rounds, 51, 55 and 68, over 12 years, the last one from 2011 to 12, may be interesting to note here. NSSO survey is conducted by Ministry of Statistics and Program Implementation and this comparative analysis was done by the Hindu in collaboration with India Data Labs based at the Observer Research Foundation. While the study showed a rise in the number of Indians eating beef and buffalo meat, and I quote, it also revealed that the number of Hindus eating beef or buffalo meat has been declining. 1.89 crore Hindus in 1999 to 2000 to 1.25 crore in 2011 to 2012, unquote. 
The regional distribution showed that, and I quote, in all the states belonging to the Hindi heartland, less than 1% of Hindus eat beef or buffalo meat, unquote. Expectedly, southern states have the maximum number of Hindus eating beef and buffalo meat, the highest in Andhra Pradesh with 32.8 lakh, followed by Tamil Nadu, 31.4 lakh, Kerala, 15.5 lakh, and Karnataka, 9 lakh. Based on the same set of data, another report did a caste analysis of Hindus eating beef and buffalo meat. It showed, and I quote, among Hindus, more than 70% of the beef-eating population is SCST, 21% is the other backward caste, and only 7% in upper caste, others category. In analyzing NSSO data, what's also important to note is, and I quote, NSSO data is self-reported and due to religious stigma, people might be under-reporting consumption details, unquote. The second dilemma arises from the question of how to, and I quote, handle vigilante outbursts from the right without appearing to take side of those who engage in violence, unquote. The RSS and the BJP have responded to these challenges by adopting a policy of cultural accommodation in regions like the Northeast, where beef is part of local dietary practices. It's an approach that is evident in the BJP's governance in the region too, after it made electoral inroads there. On the second dilemma, the approach of the Sangparivar is to step back a bit and do what Anderson and Damley call, and I quote, accepting the VHP's activism on behalf of the cow, unquote. While cow protection isn't one among its priorities now, the RSS is careful not to neglect the issue and let it drift like the Ayodhya moment. As they point out, the VHP's continuous engagement with the cow protection issue helps the RSS ensure that projects of cultural Hindutva don't suffer political marginalization. The only danger is that such activism shouldn't outgrow the BJP's political ability to restrain them whenever required. We live in times when the religious veneration and economic utility of cow constitutes one side of the status of cow in Indian society. The other side is made of people who make political claims on it and also a sizable number of people for whom cow has been part of food consumption. In many ways, the cow has become an embodiment of a delicate social contract for the coexistence of various communities in the country. This piece was narrated to you by Jinsi Thomas. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and subscribe to our YouTube channel. 